average tire was one hundred and thirty-seven dollars. Uh, average tire prices today are one hundred and sixty-two dollars. Uh, this is absolutely real, even though I'm about to say something that make you think that this is the punchline of a joke. That's right. You don't have to inflate your tires anymore. The economy did it for you. <laughs> you, you see what I did with the, with the joke there, with the that was a very poor tires. joke. That was that was a dad joke. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Oh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to a exciting, I have a question mark on that, second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach, where we spent the first hour speaking passionately about everyone's favorite subject, inflation. Um, yeah, very, very exciting. You know, maybe they should make a drinking game for every time we say, on the other hand. What do you think? I think people would get very drunk. On the other hand, they probably would enjoy the... Well, I just made them drink again. Never mind. Yep. Yeah, they'd get too drunk. Uh, especially if they were driving, that would be very, very wrong. Uh, Saturday morning, being that tipsy is probably not a good idea. You could record us and listen to us late Saturday night and do the drinking game, but probably not a good idea Saturday morning. Everybody's going to look at you as a contributing to the national malaise mm. all right so we got some more news uh jobless claims fell to three hundred seventy-six thousand, which is almost double what it was pre-pandemic on a normal basis but this number is such a small number compared to what we have been seeing since the pandemic started that this bad news is actually some amazingly good news uh, so that's that's good news out there. Um, one of piece of this is that the jobs that are out there tend to be jobs that people are having trouble losing now. Um, there's quotes from economists kind of across the board. Employers added 559,000 jobs in May. A lot of economists thought that they, there would be more than that, but this is kind of a consistent thing for the past three months or so is that economists had much much greater glowing expectations of jobs coming back. Maybe if the pandemic lockdown had been stopped at six months instead of at like 15 months, we would have seen that kind of return to jobs. But we've talked about this quite a lot. One of the major issues in getting back to work for the people that we're trying to hire is is childcare. That still hasn't been worked out. So we're we're coming back. It's just not coming back as fast as a lot of other folks have thought. According to indeed.com, are you familiar with them? Yep. Uh their job search uh site. There's about a million unfilled positions as of April. Uh, and that's gotten bigger through May. Right now, job openings of 9.286 million job openings at the moment. And the hire process, we're hiring uh, over year over year, 6.075 million. So we've got a difference in how many jobs are open versus how many people have been hired. 
that would normally mean everybody goes back to work and we have low unemployment. There's something else that's very significant about this, uh, this low job rate. We're at about 95% of the jobs filled that we had before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the GDP is, is higher now by all estimates, and we won't know that officially until the end of the quarter. But the GDP is by literally every economist agrees that the gross domestic product of the United States, the rate at which the economy is growing, is now faster than it was before the pandemic. Not only faster, but the size of the economy has grown enough that it is now bigger than it yeah. was before the pandemic. Now, that, so we're growing faster and we have a bigger economy, but we have fewer workers. Um, and when you look at like the Moody's back to normal index, we're at 88%. How is it that our economy can now be bigger than it was before the pandemic, but we're at 80 88% of the back to normal index? And these are good questions. Thank me for asking them. Well, Go ahead. There's a, there's, a, there's a word that we economists use for that. It's called productivity. And productivity has been growing at a very brisk rate, and it has, and that is tied into business investment. Business investment is up about is is growing at about fifteen percent year over year right now, and it's growing at a fifteen percent rate. So this is not an anomaly. And so what we see is, for let me give you an example of what productivity in, in a very simple way is doing. In restaurants, I haven't seen it personally, but I've read about it. People are contacting the restaurant in advance and telling them what they want to eat, having an appointment for when they show up to eat. So when they show up, they have a table. Not only do they, do they have a table, but their food is served almost immediately when they eat and they've already paid for it. They've already got their credit card online. Think about the number of times a waiter or waitress has to go back and forth and back and forth, bringing, getting your order, giving you time to figure out what you want, uh, getting drinks for you. And doing all of that, what's happened that what that does is it reduces the amount of hours that somebody has to work to get food on the table in front of you. That's a fairly simple thing, but there's software out there to do that now, and people are using it. And they actually, yeah. what they did is they combined the takeout orders that they were doing during the during the pandemic with the opportunity to not wait in line. If you register in advance and get your appointment time set up. And you can come in and your food is already prepared for you and you sit down and the food is delivered to you. You're there a shorter period of time, which means your table turnover is faster. Yeah, you don't want to turn the table over while there's food on it, though. Well, it's called the table turnover. Yeah, but that's People just messy. In and out. Yeah, the, the point is messy. That's all I'm saying. That's an increase in productivity and a very simple thing using existing technology that's forced on by the pandemic, which is why we're able to have a GDP that's larger than it was before the pandemic with 5% fewer workers. And there are numbers that kind of follow up on all of this. We've got people that are out of jobs that will not be going back into the workforce, that have retired early. When we look at income levels of the people that kept their jobs, those income levels rose drastically during this period. It's strange to think that we've got people that we lost out of the workforce large large chunks of the economy dropped out of the workforce and at the same time those that didn't made more money and we could say how does this how is this possible well it's because it's different industries were affected differently if you worked at a restaurant you probably lost your job i mean there's just very few restaurant workers 
that didn't lose their job in the middle of this. And that means that they're trying to come back to work, but restaurants are not hiring in a steady stream. They're not saying, okay, help wanted, we're bringing in as many employees as we can. They're hiring people, opening back up, gauging demand, and sometimes laying people back off. So this is part of what we're seeing in the economy. And restaurant employees tend not to be the highest paid people. Construction workers, and there were a lot of people that lost their jobs in construction in the middle of this because it took a while to affect construction. It took a while for the pandemic lockdown to slow this area of the economy down, but it did. So construction slowed way down and a lot of people got laid off, which is leading to some of the price increases that we're seeing today for labor and lumber and things is that we laid off people who went and tried to get jobs doing something else, and some of them did. And now there's fewer people to do that work. So when we're seeing the GDP, the overall economy growing beyond what it was before, it's because a lot of investment has gone into areas that weren't negatively impacted by the pandemic, like into the software to figure out how to pay for your food before you get to the restaurant. Uh, the, and that's, that is a fantastic example because just about every fast food restaurant at this point has an app. And if you order your food on the app, it's even faster than going through the drive-thru. You just have your food when you show up and you leave. I think at some point they'll have a drive-thru lane for people that are just picking up pre-ordered stuff. Uh, and I'm not sure we have our radio programs going back this far, but 10 years ago we were talking about uh, within the decade we would see the ability to order your McDonald's while you were on the road and then just show up and pick it up and not really even have to order. You already paid for it. They just hand you the bag and it's, you continue your trip without a stop. Um, that's there the now. It took the pandemic to make it happen. Yeah, it took the pandemic to make it happen. And here's the little side piece of that, that you know, there's the difference between reality and the dream of reality is that you probably still stopped and went inside and used the bathroom anyway. <laughs> so we got to figure out a bathroom can we pre-set our bathroom and just drop it off when we show up and no that's gross that's that's worse than turning tables over there's another aspect of this that is temporary that is distorting the economic view that we see total consumer spending what's called in because economists can't use simple words like total aggregate computers com, consumer spending which is about 67 percent of our economy is now above where it was projected to be before the pandemic. In other words, if you take the projections before the pandemic hit and you it's a nice curved line slowly rising, then you look at where the consumer spending is now, it's higher than was projected. In other words, we have above normal spending going on, which is normal considering that people have above normal cash reserves. Mm-hmm. But where it's being spent, well, and that's that's very important to the economy, but where it's being spent is critical. We're still only we're still down about four five four point five percent in services and services anything from haircuts to eating out. But when we look at durable goods, real durable goods spending is about thirty percent above its pre-pandemic level, way above any forecast. That's things like washing machines and stereos, and cars and trucks and things that you're going to keep for a long period of time. So that cannot 
sustain itself. Eventually, people will get enough durable goods and they're being durable so they don't need new ones. There's a, there's a limit there. on how many washing machines you can fit in your utility room. That's true. We tried fitting extra washing machines in there. It didn't work really well. The point is that we still have distortions going on in the economy, even though things are up to speed as far as the aggregate spending is concerned. Durable goods take a long time to manufacture, and it takes a special factory to manufacture them, and it takes a long time to build the factories. And so it's kind of like the sudden demand for housing and the sudden demand for toilet paper. It takes a while to catch up. Some, In this case, the durable goods manufacturers are not trying to build more factories because they recognize there's only so many washing machines people are going to buy. Right. And, and here's, I think we need to add something to what we talked about last hour in the middle of this. There's another component that should be in the CPI. There's, a, there's a, an item that should be in there because it's pretty good representation and the puns just get amazing. And that's tires. Tire prices uh, from the Consumer Reports 2019 survey, average tire was $137. Uh, average tire prices today are $162. Uh, this is absolutely real, even though I'm about to say something that make you think that this is the punchline of a joke. That's right. You don't have to inflate your tires anymore. The economy did it for you. Do you, you see what I did with the, with the joke there? With the that was a very poor tires. joke. That was, that was a dad joke. There was a tire, and, and it was inflated, and it was real, and so it was like inflation. Like That should be the index instead of the TPI. We should do the tire inflation index. And... Yeah, no, I don't think it's gonna catch on. Sorry, I don't. I don't think that's. Gonna, it, I don't think it's gonna go real well. Gave it my best shot. Uh, I I really do think that that would be a good thing though. Tire inflation indexes. The other thing that's happening, and it's it's having a distinct impact on our inflation because the stuff, like I said, we're buying more stuff and not not as much services as normal. Far more stuff than normal. Most washing machines that we buy in the United States, we use washing machines as an example, are not made in the United States. They're made in, matter of fact, most of them are made in Korea. South Korea, not North Korea. North Korea doesn't make much. Right. And they're made in other places. But one of the things that's raising costs in the United States is having a temporary effect is the pandemic. What? The pandemic is affecting prices? How is this possible? <laughs> a lot of the goods that we, and pieces of goods that we use to manufacture goods in the United States come out of the South China ports along the coast of China, and there have been outbreaks of COVID-19 there. And Pretty. when they have an outbreak, they shut the place down completely, and then the ships can't leave, and the ships can't come in. And, and when we say causes... completely, it's on a different level of completely than people who are like, the economy in the United States is shut down completely. No, no, it never. we never came even close to a complete shutdown. China, on the other hand, wait, there's a drink. Nobody has to drink, we said on the other hand. Um, yeah, China does it the whole way. They, including welding doors shut, if you, arresting people for walking. The people that were upset about what happened in the United States, you go live in China for a little bit and see what personal freedom means. Um, yeah, but you can't because China's not allowing people to move in there. Oh, yeah, because there's a even pandemic. Yeah. But one of the things we don't recognize is the pandemic is going strong elsewhere. We've, we're approaching, I think probably this week, we will go over 600,000 deaths in the United States from the pandemic, right. COVID-19. Yeah. But the millions of deaths that are occurring elsewhere in the world and the rate at which people are dying daily is astonishing. 
we get a lot of things from India. We get a lot of things from China. And by, by getting it, we be, don't mean like contagious we're, news that we're getting from India and China. Well, I mean, no, I'm saying the products that we get, a right. lot of them are made elsewhere. And they need to be made elsewhere because we're the wealthiest nation in the world. And we have a lot of money to spend because we're the wealthiest nation in the world. So we don't buy things from ourselves as much as we buy things from other people. And you can say, well, I wish all that stuff was made in the United States. Well, it can't be. We don't have enough workers. We don't have enough factories. We don't have enough anything to spend the money that we've made because we've become wealthy. So the stuff that comes in from elsewhere is affected by the fact that the pandemic is still going strong in a lot of the world. Matter of fact, it's accelerating in a lot of the world. The worst is still ahead of a lot of the world. We early on took the hit. We still, by the way, have the largest number of cases of any nation in the world. We're right up there. I think we're still number one on number of deaths, too. Yeah, number of so deaths. The Indians, uh, Indians the, are catching up with us pretty quick. On both areas. They've got about 4 million cases to catch up, and uh, they've got about uh, 230,000 deaths to catch up. So we're still comfortably in the lead when it comes to deaths. Brazil is second place when it comes to death. We, um, we took it on the nose early on because we didn't shut things down. So the rest of the world is taking it on the nose later. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard, but the, one of the things to remember is the economy is still going to be in fluctuation. There's still going to be uncertainty. There's still going to be waves of uncertainty that flow across us because of the fact that there's a pandemic going on across the rest of the world. And until it's eliminated across the world, which is something that is happening very slowly, uh, we're still going to see uncertainty. And for example, there's a Delta version of the COVID-19 virus that is hit now in the United States and appears to be 60% more contagious than the alpha version that we originally started with. And it is causing outbreak outbreaks in the United States. And at some point, this is one of the things to be, to be aware of that would cause the market to swoon and cause things to be really unhappy. At some point, if this virus continues to spread and isn't checked around the world, it could mutate into something that the vaccinations won't handle. Right. And something that even if you previously had it, you would no longer be immune to it because it mutated into something else. So this is one of those things. If you want to concern yourself about something, that's something it's not off the, it's not off the threat chart yet. We tend to think because it's pretty much eliminated here. We've gone several weeks in, in Bell County, for example, now with no deaths at all. And then we had, I think a couple of deaths this week, but, we were having, we had 60 deaths in one week earlier in the year. We're down to practically nothing now. We think, well, okay, it's not hitting us, so it doesn't affect us. But the reality is that we're in a global economy. And, and the Chinese vaccine is nowhere near as effective as the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. The, the, and there are a whole series of different vaccines available in China, but they have nowhere near the efficacy they're just not as good um and that's this this is hard for people because it's really easy to go down the path and saying wuhan lab leak and all of that um that maybe it was mutated in the lab and so on the chinese bioengineering side of things is just nowhere near as advanced as england's in the united states it's nowhere close uh, just absolutely nowhere close. If it's quite possible that all the best 
infectious disease scientists are part of a cabal in China that are just trying to release new viruses rather than create vaccines. But that's not where the money is generally. The money tends to be for creating cures rather than creating the disease. And so this is like from the economics perspective, China's not, their vaccines are just not that good. And if they had the expertise to mutate a virus into something more virulent, which is something, just to be clear, we can't do that at MIT or at Stanford or at Cambridge or at Oxford. We don't know how to do that yet. If the Chinese had that breakthrough, their vaccine would be a a whole lot better than ours. And it's not. So just looking at the numbers, looking at, okay, is it possible it leaked from the lab? Yeah, but I don't think they intentionally mutated it. They don't, if they did, then they're not doing as good a job for their economy as they should be. They should have the best vaccine out there if they were the ones that mutated the virus. And they don't. So that's kind of the bottom line. Well, I think I've been reading a lot on this. And I think the most, the most probable course right now, there was a cave in China where some workers went into to gather guano. And they came down with this new disease that nobody recognized. It was a form of pneumonia and several of them died. And so the Wuhan lab sent, now this is now, now we're in speculation. Somebody went in there from the government. And it's kind of assumed that it was from the Wuhan lab at this point. It's in the right province. It's the closest lab to the outbreak. So, yeah. To gather, to gather the bats and gather the guano to see what it was that happened. And they took it back to their uh, facility. And apparently some of those people got sick, sick enough to go to the hospital. Now, it could have been a coincidence. It could have been seasonal flu. Or it could have just simply been a, a leak rather than mutating the virus. It could have simply been a leak where the virus wasn't properly contained and the Suits weren't properly cleaned or something. And, and this is something I have to say at this point. We will never know what actually happened unless we have some ability to go back in time with the tests that exist today and test those people before they died. We're not going to know. Well, the people from the lab didn't actually die, and they had blood samples. So it would be possible to test their blood even at this late date and see if it's in there. I don't know. We probably never will know for sure, but there's a reasonable, that's reasonable. It's a reasonable assumption at this point, which is what the government, the United States government is working on. And the Chinese are not at all willing to admit that they made it. They may have made a mistake. I don't think it was biological warfare that created the virus. And that's something that we poor, very poor warfare agent. Yeah. If you're creating a virus to release on the rest of the world, you generally don't do it right in the very center of your homeland. Just that tends to be a mistake. That's, that's kind of the underlying point there is we're going to get everybody starting with ourselves. I mean, they reacted to it quickly, but they've also reacted to other pandemics quickly because they've had the most pandemics lately because they have the highest concentration of humans on the planet, which means it's the most likely that things are going to mutate there. So all that being said, I, I think China should have released a lot more information early on. I think China didn't handle it particularly well. They locked down their economy and prevented a lot of deaths early on, but now they still haven't developed a good vaccine. There's not a whole lot of effort to provide Chinese, the Chinese government with extra vaccines right now. The Chinese are saying we want to use our own products. 
Um, and, but, they're, and they're giving it to countries in Africa. Yeah, and they're giving it to South countries. In, but the countries in South America and in Africa are very clearly stating that they would rather have Pfizer's or Moderna's or Johnson & Johnson's. or For some reason, they trust those pharmaceutical companies more than the Chinese companies, even in South America and Africa. Just interesting stuff. I'm, the whole front with, with China, by the way, and this is... There's really not a lot of coverage of this in in the in the news media at all. We're still in a full-on trade war with China and a big chunk of the rest of the world. We still have massive tariffs on lots and lots of things. We've got more tariffs right now against China than we did at the end of the Trump administration. Uh, and a lot of people thought that as soon as Biden took over, we were just going to capitulate and wave the white flag. No, it's just not front and center it's still happening and it's weird because we really didn't have an exit strategy at the beginning of this in the trump administration or not a clear one because it's based on negotiations this is kind of the thing is that the major negotiations are pretty much not happening anywhere right now when it comes to trade um we've got some negotiations on things that don't relate to trade like the G7 agreeing to a flat 15% corporate tax rate and you can't get below that in any of these big com- countries. In a little ways, that's a little bit like a monopoly, wouldn't you say? But no, I, think, I think it's fair. But I think governments are monopolies by definition. It is fair um, because each government does need to pay for troops and for roads and for bridges and for everything else and if a corporation can just go somewhere else and pay less taxes then why wouldn't they problem is the, the countries and the leaders of the countries have agreed on that but each of their respective legislatures have to approve it, including the united states which is questionable yes whether or not that actually happens is up in the air so while the g7 can agree all of the executive leaders of the government show up and say yes we agree this will happen the power of the president of the United States, for instance, to sign a treaty, they're allowed to sign it, but Congress has to approve it with with a two thirds majority. Not this is greater. This is like the super super majority because it's the same as an amendment to the Constitution level of change. It's supposed to be any treaty, not agreement. Treaty is supposed to be at the same level of law as the Constitution according to the Constitution. As you said, we can all agree, but that doesn't put any weight behind our agreement. We'll see. It's, it's a step forward. We, the fact that we all agreed verbally is something that we haven't been able to do for near a decade about anything. So we should celebrate, maybe? It'd be a lot easier to get excited about this if we weren't talking about taxes. And by the way, you are listening to the Personal Wealth Coaching. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you're welcome to email us at either jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com or better yet, send it to both jeff and jake at tpwc.com. Sounds good. Um, Do you want to talk about Social Security for a second? Social Security, what do you want to talk about? Well, um, the Social Security uh, Administration has released a couple of documents lately. Uh, back in November, they released something with an update saying, hey, and we know back in January of 2020, we said that 
Uh, we were probably not going to run out of money in the trust fund till 2035. We're going to change that to 2034. Basically, what's coming out is that they've weathered the uh, pandemic better than a lot of people thought they would. Um, they've done that. But there's a couple of things that are very, very obvious in that statement. 2034 is not that far away. Nope. 13 years. That's all we're talking about here. And higher taxes are coming. Initially, higher taxes will be for upper income people. If you make more than a million dollars a year, God bless you. Get prepared to have some significant tax raises. If you make more than $400,000 a year, you're probably going to get tax raises. I don't care how many Republicans vote against it. The fact is we have to pay for things. Like Social Security. And the thing about people that receive Social Security is they tend to vote. And there are more of them than people making $400,000 a year plus. So this isn't necessarily a question about should it happen or that we're advocating for it or anything like that. Just expect it to happen. This works better when you're planning for yourself to, to look at reality rather than what you want or don't want. And the reality is that if you're a high income person, your taxes are going to go up. Now, we can't say that with 100% guarantee. That would be promissory. But it's really hard for me imagine it, to imagine it not happening. And the same thing is going to happen with corporations. That's uh, right. A lot of corporations make money on the books, but they don't pay any taxes. Uh, they pay very minimal taxes. And saying that making a rule that says you pay a 15% tax on your profits, no matter how many tax credits you get, can be argued back and forth all day, but it's something fairly reasonable. It's very rare for an individual to make a lot of money and not have to pay any taxes because we don't get to, we don't accumulate tax credits the way corporations do. So this is one of those things that's coming down the road. It's going to happen. Might as well get ready for it. If you've got transactions coming up, you need to plan based on that. We don't like to pay taxes in the present. We'd rather defer them into the future, but probably the taxes today are as low as they're ever going to be in anybody's lifetime. Right. This is one I of those so. th those questions that you hear people ask as they're kind of trick questions. Would you rather pay a dollar today or uh, and get the thing that you want or, or, or pay 50 cents in the future and have to wait a year or have to wait a week? And people tend to want to pay the higher price now for the thing that they want. The opposite's true when it comes to taxes. If you can pay 50 cents today or delay that and spend your 50 cents now and pay a dollar in taxes later, most people select the dollar in taxes later. Um, that's not generally a good idea. If you can get it at the cheaper price, you should do so. And that is something that, as, as we look at this, we are in phenomenally, phenomenally low tax position right now as a, as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And we may have some kind of a, a retroactive tax law change, just as a side note. I said we would talk about this, so I'm going to throw this in. We're talking about taxes now. We've talked about the step up in basis and capital gains and it was a big target uh, in much of the budget talks that have been going on for the past year or so. Um, well, I guess six months or so. And that is uh, that when, when you die, if you bought a ranch when you were 20 and you die when you're 82 and you bought the ranch for $400 and the ranch is now worth a million dollars, 
the difference between the $400 you paid for it and the million dollars would be considered a gain. I know. The difference between what you paid for it and what you received. That's a gain, a capital gain. And if you were to sell that ranch in your lifetime, you would owe taxes on your capital gains in the capital gains rate. Well, there was a lot of talk about this next piece, which is at your death, the value of your property and the cost of your property go to the same number. Where they say, what's the value today? It's a million dollars, then that's the cost of the property. Which means if your heirs went to sell it right then, they wouldn't be taxed on it. That's called a step up in basis. The basis is the cost basis, and the step up is only when you're looking at a ranch like it's a chart. Uh, so it's a really goofy accounting statement to say that the value of your property is the same as what you paid for it at the death. So you don't owe taxes if you sold it right then. Now, if the property goes up in value and you sell it from that point forward, you owe gains on the difference. Uh, you owe taxes on the gains of the difference. There was a lot of talk about eliminating the step up in basis for people that had more than a million dollars in capital gains at their death. And Schwab came out and said it pretty clearly, but I've heard this from major sources everywhere, Democrats and Republicans, nope, that's not going to happen. That would just create way too much of a record-keeping craziness. How do you know what Grandpa Jim paid for the ranch uh, 80 years ago? Um, that's a little hard. So that basically you would have to say then 100% of the value of the ranch is taxable if you don't know what he paid for it. It's really hard to keep records over 80 years and then pass a generation with the person, the original person keeping their records dead. So Democrats and Republicans looked at this and said, this is going to be impossible for record keeping purposes. And a lot of people would be taxed out of something that's been in their family for lots of years. So if you have a ranch that was purchased five generations ago, what's it worth today if you get rid of this stuff well, up in basis? They got the step up in basis that occurred each generation would, would be left in place in the plan that the Biden administration put out. Right. It's just the most recent step up in 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 basis would be the one that was used for. Yeah, I wasn't in, I wasn't trying to say that those would all go away back into the beginning of time, but rather to say, okay, your dad got the ranch from his great great grandfather, and when your dad got the ranch, it was worth. You know, $50,000 because it's just desert land in West Texas that has one cow per eight acres. Um, but today, because Alpine is right next to it and they do a film festival every year, your property is worth a lot more, millions of dollars. Do you have any more money because of that? No. Well, then if you're taxed on something that you haven't been given money for, then the only way to get the money is to sell the thing you're being taxed on. And I don't think that'll go over. Yeah, and that's the thing. Schwab's come out and said they don't see it happening. Uh, they're the ones that have put their name on it, where a lot of people have said, oh, I don't think this is going to happen. Schwab says this isn't going to happen. And I would agree with that. I don't think that there is enough angst right now over step up and basis for them to change any part of it. Uh, so that should be helpful in people's minds if you're thinking about a big inheritance that's that's gonna happen or if you're gonna pass your stuff on to your heirs, being scared about this. I've gotten a lot of calls from 
people um, at this point. It's still I'm, an unknown. It is still an unknown. Yeah. Remember that not certainly in my memory, we had a we had a estate tax that only had a $600,000 exclusion. And if you set up it with a husband and wife, you get $1.2 million. After that, you paid estate taxes. Right. And that's that made people unhappy, but still it was there. It was there for a long yeah. time. It caused a lot of trust to be formed and a lot of things to be done that was weird and distorted the economy. And I don't think we gained a tremendous amount of revenue by doing away with that. I think it was a matter of, I think that this proposal over a million dollars capital gains had, didn't have a lot of thought in it. Right. I think it may be for things like that. I think it still may be passed, but it may would be for things like stocks where you would have some evidence of what the basis right. was. Right. And, and there's some more support for that, for like taxing ultra, ultra wealthy people at death. But it would like, for instance, if you're talking about the Walton family and Walmart, um, if, the Walton family had to sell a huge amount of its stock to pay for the estate tax. They may lose close to controlling interest as a family. So there's some dangers associated with taxing someone into not being able to own it. Uh, and it's something that is worth keeping an eye on. And we got to play some commercials. Thank you. He was making the motion at his watch. Do we, are you even wearing a watch or are you just pointing at I your sleeve? I am wearing a watch. See, it's, it's there. Uh, if Watch. you would like to join the conversation, we're taking emails, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com, or preferably both. Uh, we're answering them as they come in. We're going to play some commercials, and we'll be back on the other side with more of the Personal Wealth Coach. And we're back with more of the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, you mentioned something at the beginning of the first hour about uh, investment into technology and so on for productivity. The change in business investment in the GDP across equipment and software at the commercial. So this is business investment. Software investment went up throughout the pandemic. Uh, that's that not only did it grow during this time period, it grew drastically. It, it was up near uh, what was the, the 13% rise in software investment over that time yep. period. Yep. Uh, equipment investment was up about 6.8% during that time period. The GDP at the end of quarter two is going to be right right around where it was maybe a little bit higher than it was in the last quarter of 2019. So having said that, that sounds great. What GDP is coming back, investments in software and equipment's good. Structures investment dropped 17.3% in the same period. Actually, the GDP crossed the 2019 line a couple of months ago. If you do a projection from 2019 forward to where GDP should be, if it was still growing at the same rate it was, then we'll cross that. Probably, we probably have already crossed that one too. So we're actually ahead of where we would have been had there not been a pandemic. On the GDP side, that's right. Yes. Having said that, what is structures investing? Well, that's new buildings at the business side. 
Construction stopped or slowed way, way down during the pandemic. And this is a really good example of that. The GDP was really hit because it sounds great that we had a big rise in software investment and a big rise in equipment investment. But what costs more, the building or the software? What costs more, the stuff inside the factory or the factory? And that's, that's an answer as to why a lot of productivity increased is that we had better digital tools to solve the problems. Uh, we had better equipment to solve the problems, but we slowed way down in, in our investment in new buildings to house more equipment and more software. And that's the part that's recovering right now. Uh, and I, I expect to see that to pick up once we once the prices start being more reasonable. Part of the reason why the prices are so high across the board for construction is everybody's making up for that gap. People that wanted to build a house didn't do it during the pandemic. Um, if you were a custom home builder, you didn't work during the pandemic. If you were a big home construction company like like KB Homes, they still did it, but they slowed way down on what they were doing because they weren't sure what the demand was going to be. And then demand fell way off and then it came back. Well, it takes a while to build a house. It'd be nice if you could do it overnight, but that's not how it works. So the, also takes a while to find the skilled labor to build a house. But that's right. Takes, sometimes it takes 10 to 20 years for an electrician to come up to the point where they can work in a new house. That's the problem. A lot of those electricians got old and quit, retired. And a lot of them, when the layoffs came, we actually had a double whammy in construction workers. Yeah. We had the, the, great, the great Recession where people were laid off and decided to go do something else. And it happened again. People went off to do something else. And the price, and then we get the price of lumber so high. There's just so much demand for lumber and there's so little supply. And it takes a long time to build a lumber mill. It takes people a long time to grow a tree. Well, the growing of trees, we've got plenty of trees. We've got an abundance of trees. The price of lumber has been coming down. Right. The problem is that... Lack of lumber mills. Can't cut them all up. Mills. And the problem with building new lumber mills is you have to have, it's the same thing. If you, if construction workers are hard to find and construction has fallen off because it's of supply issues, to build a lumber mill, you have to have a lot of construction workers and do a lot of construction. On top of that, the companies that own the lumber mills are not willing to make a big investment and take several years to build a lumber mill just when they think because of the high demand right now. High demand may not last. Now, we know that the demand will last for computer chips for cars. Because people continue to buy cars on a regular basis, but people don't buy houses every year or every three years. So they're concerned about putting a lot of money into building a lot of lumber mills and then having lumber prices fall because they have. We talk about volatility of prices. Lumber prices have fallen through the floor on several occasions, in which case it would be unprofitable to have that lumber mill. It's, it's all very awkward, and it's something called creative destruction. Yeah. And it's going on in our country. By the way, in the end... Economists will look back on this pandemic and the related disruptions in the in the economy that have occurred and say this is one of the best things that happened to us. Yeah, we're reconstructing how we do business, how we make things, and where we make things. And we talked about this during the pandemic, that we were going to be bringing the supply chain back, but that it was going to be a multi-year process. Well, we're at the beginning of this multi-year process, but we're seeing it happen across boardrooms from one end of the country to the other. The conversation, they're not even aware of the other boardroom conversations, is, hey, how do we get our supply chain cheaper, more dynamic, 
uh, and with more flexibility. And the answer consistently is bring it closer to where you're selling. Make the stuff next to where you're selling it. And that means that the domination that China has on manufacturing is going to be there for a while. But with automation, we should be back to providing a lot more of that manufactured capability here in the United States. Another aspect in the growth in productivity is the fact that a lot of people are working from home and it's far more productive to work from home than it is to work in the office for most people. And most companies are now saying that they're not going to bring everybody back. People who can effectively work from home will continue to work from home or work remotely. That means they don't have to have the office space built, which is why there's very little office construction going on in the United States. And the price of office buildings have fallen dramatically. Uh, Unfortunately for ex-President Trump, he was trying to sell a couple of office buildings and then pulled them off the market because very simply the price has fallen below what he owes on them. Right. That's one of the things that's going on. And even though people are moving back into the cities to some degree, there's a lot of people are moving out of the cities still. And it, and I think this is going to be a permanent change. And we've seen it happen in our office and we've seen it happen in other businesses where people who previously worked with other people in cubicles find it far more effective to work from home. And they don't have the commute time. There's a tremendous change going on in our society. We won't fully see it for several years. I think is, among other things, we don't have to build as many roads. We don't have to use as much gasoline. We don't have as much pollution if people are working from home. This is going to be, this is a major change that I don't think, we we should, we talked about this 15 years ago. Yeah. That it was going to happen. We didn't anticipate it, but it really takes a, what we, we anticipated would take a pan. We didn't anticipate it would take a pandemic to make it happen. We, we thought, thought it was going to be much, much, much more gradual, but. We don't change very much until we have a crisis, and we just had a crisis. We're still having a crisis. Yeah, and I, I think the the speed, the rapidity at which the the commute has changed, and then the fact that we did it for as long as we did meant that it's become habit now. A lot of corporations are looking at it as cost-saving. Uh, a lot of employees are looking at it as cost-saving. So... There's some degree of this is going to be around forever. Um, I can say in our office, it's likely that having the whole crew at the office on any given day in a year from now, unless it's a special day, it's just probably not going to happen. Uh, We may get together for office parties, but that's really it. That, you know, having people in the office for the things that we need to do in the office is important, but we got a lot more flexibility than we used to. Let me give you a little anecdotal. You want to wrap up the hour with your anecdote too? Yeah. We went out to a restaurant. There. I'll just tell you right now, it was the Longhorn Steakhouse in Temple the other night, which is an unusual event for us actually going out to eat in a restaurant. We really enjoy it. And I noticed something there. They had plenty of workers. They were not having any trouble keeping, obviously not having any trouble keeping waiters, wait staff, people busting tables, people carrying foods around, people in the kitchen. They were having no trouble at all. So I asked the manager how he was doing that. And he said, we found that if we be very flexible, we can keep a lot of workers. Whereas in the past, he said, if somebody couldn't make a shift, we often would fire them. Today, we have we have, allow them to schedule their own time and we shuffle it around. It's a little more work, but we've got the software to do it. Again, it's the software that they have to do it so people can look when there's open hours and they can fit themselves into the open hours that fits their schedule. So they actually are employing more people. The people they're employing are working slightly fewer hours. 
but they have plenty of workers. They've become very flexible. They also raise their pay a little bit. But in other words, by being more flexible, it works. And we're about out of time for this week. Thank you very much for listening, if you have. If you haven't, then no thanks to you. Um, yeah. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waking, waiting locally during the week at... 254-947-1111. Uh, real live people during the week, voicemail during the weekend, and that is also 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us through there, contact us through there, podcasts, newsletters, all that good stuff. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.